This week on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. The deepest power of the human soul is imagination. And when humans bring imagination to the situation, we join the agents of creation. It's always been that way, and it's trying to be that way again. Storyteller Michael Mead says we all need to become agents in the co-creation of culture and nature. This week on Bioneers Radio. Support for the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, and by the generous support of listeners like you. We ready for a story? You know, they say in the beginning was the word, but in Africa they say in the beginning was the sound. In tribal places all over the world, they say in the beginning was the sound, and the sound that began at the beginning reverberates even until this day. For the sound is what is inside each person, not only the heartbeat, but the unique vibration that makes a person exist in this world. And everything in this world is vibrating with sound. And it's a sound that started at the beginning and it continues now. And some people say that creation was back there, but the ancient people say creation is right now. And we are in the midst of it. And we are being invited to be agents of the ongoing creation. This is Awakening the Genius in Everyone, When the Calling Keeps Calling, with Michael Mead. My name is Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Michael Mead is a renowned storyteller, author, and scholar of mythology, anthropology, and psychology. He weaves the threads of timeless wisdom traditions into myths for today's unprecedented global crisis. Because, he says, each of us is woven into the soul of the world, and we're uniquely needed at this mythic moment. Michael Mead spoke at a Bioneers conference. In ancient Greece, they said, there's two major ways of thinking, logos and mythos. Logos is factual rational, and it tends to be linear, trying to go from one place to the other and collect and elucidate facts along the way. Mythos is something else altogether. People think nowadays that myth means something false, but the old meaning of myth is emergent truth. A myth is a series of lies that tells the truth. The facts all put together can never amount to the truth. You know what I'm saying? The facts are important, logos is important, rationalism is important, but that is only seeing one half of the world, and the other half of the world is seen from the eye of the soul, and that's the world of misos, which knows through emotion and knows through key of imagination. The deepest power of the human soul is imagination. And when humans bring imagination to the situation, we join the agents of creation. It's always been that way, and it's trying to be that way again. Each human being 
especially on the moments of awakening, can realize that they are threaded into the weaving of the world. Each person is secretly sewn and threaded to the soul of the world, for the world has a soul. That is to say, the world is a living being. It's breathing. You can see that every time you go to the forest. But also, it is creating itself moment to moment, and humans are threaded into that ongoing creation. And so if we have done the damage to cause the creation and the heating up of the planet, we have also the opportunity to reverse that flow and turn it into something else and participate in the weaving of the new beautiful garment. Is it not the case? Michael Mead says we're weaving a new narrative that's calling on everyone to become active agents in the co-creation, recreation, and reimagination of culture and nature. He spoke with us at a Bioneers conference. We're living through a time where culture is unraveling. When you look at cultural institutions, they just fall apart. And institutions that are stuck and don't work, like most of politics. So that's happening at the same time that nature is rattling. So nature and culture are both going through a crisis at the same time. And so I think that is the essence of what we're facing now. Everything has to be done at once. Social justice and environmental change, both. It's not one or the other. There have to be people who understand how to work with water, people who instinctively know how to help trees, people who also from their own essence, know how to contact animals and do cross-species work, that kind of thing. At the same time, there need to be people that know how to work with youth and people who have the instinct to do hospice work, to understand how to help people die because, you know, that's also part of being alive is dying in a meaningful way. And so almost everything that anybody could think of needs to be done in more imaginative and creative ways. You know, I I work with young people all over the place, and they all get it. They all get, wow, this is like deep trouble. But what's not evident is that the old idea, everyone's born into a time where they have something to contribute. And so you could say from a narrative mythological point of view, we all came here to be part of this change, which is also a renewal. Michael Mead founded the Mosaic Multicultural Foundation, a nonprofit network of artists, activists, community builders, healers, and spiritual teachers. They're working in innovative ways to develop cross-cultural alliances, mentoring relationships, and forms of community healing. For over 30 years, Mead has worked with some of the most vulnerable people to help them rediscover the root of their resiliency. He's worked with men and women serving time in prison, at-risk youth living in barrios and ghettos, veterans recovering from the trauma of war, and suburban white youth suffering an epidemic of suicide. For the solution, he says, inquire within. And so that has led me to doing what I call the genius project. The word genius means the spirit that's already there. It doesn't mean IQ or intelligence. It means the spirit a person brings to life. The modern world, cosmologically, philosophically, is called the accidental world, the accidental universe. That's what people tend to think, you know. Most people think it's one big accident. The idea of an accidental universe has trickled all the way down to the streets of America. I work with kids in the hood, and they all think this is one big accident, man. I just happen to be here, and I'm going to get mine. 
The problem is if it's an accidental universe, then everybody in it is an accident. And if I'm simply an accident, how can I justify any particular way of being? So the old idea was a person comes into the world aimed at something. The idea was destiny, living towards a destination. And the thing that is the companion of that destiny and the guide, the inner guide, which could be the sage in one's soul, that can be called the genius. Mead says it's a narrative transformation to birth a world of world leaders, of geniuses. It's more than the traditional hero archetype of classical mythology. The problem with that, in a way, is it leaves you with the isolated individualistic hero. If the story of the hero is the hero in a very individual way goes out and faces danger and finds a boon, you know, treasure, whatever that is, to bring back to everyone, then people are waiting for heroes to arise. Then you get the superhero. So particularly in America, you have the idea that superheroes are going to keep saving everything. It doesn't actually say enough, and it keeps implying that a person has to go find something in order to be heroic, in order to be valuable, in order to be contributing to culture. Now everybody has to make a journey out into the world. I get that. But I'm kind of going, well, let's add to the hero myth, the genius myth. Because the genius myth would say that everybody is already born with the thing that they have to give. Everyone is on a genius path rather than some people on the heroic path. So I'm wondering if we aren't entering a little bit of a different narrative. The narrative that we might be in such a crisis, a spiritual environmental crisis, that the notion of genius embedded in everybody waiting to wake up and go in the direction that the soul was most pulled towards might be a stronger or greater narrative than the idea of the more isolated individualistic hero. Michael Mead believes that awakening doesn't happen by itself. It takes agency and it takes guidance. We're living in a culture that does not have a formal or an informed initiation process or rite of passage. You can grow by virtue of nature from being a little child to being a pretty big person. But you cannot go from having childish ways to being an awakened individual simply by nature. It takes an interruption, an intervention, an invention assisted by culture. Am I making sense? We have a whole lot of adult people who do not know the nature of their own spirit or their own genius, and they can only guess at it, and they haven't had it confirmed or blessed. So what happens is we often have delayed awakenings. It's so essential to the nature of the human being to try and become an awakened individual that the calling keeps calling. In America, the largest age group right now are people over 60. I call them the olders. <laughs> They're the baby boom who are a potential elder bloom. And people can live a long life. Nowadays, people are living longer and longer, but some people are living longer and longer without knowing what they're living for. 
the real role of elders is to stand for the ideals more than anyone else. They say that young people are the ones who take the risk of standing for ideals, and the only people that stand in a more courageous way for the ideals are the elders. The difference is the elders know it's unlikely that you'll reach those ideals, but you stand for them anyway. You get what I'm saying? That the changes we're looking for are going to require elders. If the olders would become the elders, things could change more quickly. First of all, they would have a lifetime of experience to draw upon. And second of all, they have over 70% of the wealth and resources in the culture. And so if we're talking about changing culture and helping nature, one of the things to do is to get older people involved and have them begin to learn what it means to be an elder. And one of the things it means is elders act in order to create situations that will exist after they're gone. Native people say seven generations down the line, you make your decisions. It's called planting seeds for a tree you'll never see. The elders have to sacrifice their own comfort, in a sense, to have things happen when they will no longer be alive that can grow out of their decisions, out of their resources, and out of the things that they plant. Am I making sense? And then the elders become the ones who can bless the youngers and the youth. And there is a secret conversation and a secret thread of imagination that runs between the elders and the youth. In the elders, what keeps the elders alive is the eternal youth inside them. And what's waking up in the youth is their genius nature, but also the inner sage in them. And when the elders are working together with the youth, they both become more youthful and wiser at the same time. And that's something that is missing which means we could find it again. As the planet heats up and the climate crisis intensifies, Michael Mead reminds us with an ancient myth that we've been here before, cataclysmic times that bring the end of the world and its rebirth. He restories this myth from the mists of time, from a tribe in the Amazon about the overheating of the world. Michael Mead is accompanied on percussion by his frequent collaborator John Densmore, master percussionist and once drummer of The Doors. Once upon a time, once you could say in a time like this time, it happened that the world got overheated and there was nothing to stop the overheating of the world, global warming on a massive scale with nothing to interrupt it. And so what happened was the earth began to burn. And soon everything was being turned into ashes. The forests reduced to nothing but ash. The animals unable to escape the flames burning in all directions reduced to nothing but ash. And eventually, shocking to say it, Human beings getting caught in the fire that time were reduced to ash as well, so there was nothing left of the entire planet except ashes in all directions. And everything and everyone was gone except for two beings who happened to be out of the world at the time the world went on fire. They happened to be in the other world. Do you know about the other world? 
The other world exists right next to this world. It's the world of eternity. It's the world of imagination and ongoing creation. It's the world from which this world comes. This world is only the front of the world, and the other world is the world behind this world. And those two beings, named Ikan Shu and Shuna, happened to be visiting in the other world while this world burned up, and therefore they were not consumed by the fires. They were continuing to live. And they were kind of like human beings, but it was a long time ago when the animals and the humans were really close to each other, so they were also like bird beings. They were like birds and they were like humans. At any rate, they decided to go back home, and they were now flying over the surface of the earth, and they were looking for their home. But no matter where they looked, all they could see was ashes everywhere. And they didn't know where home was, and they were beginning to fall into a kind of sadness and despair because people are always looking for home. And at that point, the trickster, oh yeah, the trickster survived the fire as well. Don't forget that. It takes good tricks to survive a time of dissolution. The trickster came and said, you know, if while you're flying, your index finger points down to the ground, it will be pointing at your home. Now, I don't know how it was they were flying and had index figures. It's an old story. You just have to go along with it. So now the two of them were flying, waiting for their index fingers to point down. And sure enough, at a certain point, their fingers began to point down. There's a lesson in that. Home is down down in the earth, down in the soul, down in the caves of knowledge. And so they began to descend to the ground. And when they descended to the ground, they began to look for food because as soon as you become manifest in the grounded world, you want to eat. They were looking around in the ashes for food but couldn't find any until Ikanchu's foot hit on something hard and he reached down into the ashes and pulled that something out. He looked at it, it was a piece of charcoal. It occurred to him that charcoal, although it had been part of a growing tree at one point, was not something you could eat. But he was holding it in his hand anyway, and he was thinking, you know, trees were also the source of drums. And this piece of charcoal just might be like a drum. And since I can't eat, I might as well begin to play this piece of charcoal like a drum. And so Ikan Chu, there, in the ashes at the end of the world began to play the piece of charcoal like a drum. And as long as he was drumming, he thought, I might as well dance. And so E. Kanchu began to dance in the ashes at the end of the world while playing on the drum. And as long as he was drumming and dancing, he thought, I might as well sing. And now E. Kanchu was singing and drumming and dancing in the ashes that were kind of the end of the world. And he was having a pretty good time all in all until he got tired. And then he fell asleep. He laid right down in the ashes and he fell asleep. It doesn't say how long he was sleeping. He was just sleeping for a while. And in the morning or whenever the light came back, Ikanchu woke up again and he looked around and there were the ashes. And there was that piece of charcoal laying in the ashes. And as Ikanshu looked at that charcoal, he could see a green tendril growing from it. And he quickly realized what had happened. Because he was singing and dancing and playing the charcoal like a drum, he had affected that sound from the beginning and the reverberation and the echo of creation. 
and it had awakened a deep green imagination inside the black charcoal. And now the green life was coming out of the dark charcoal. And Ikanshu knew that what he had to do was dance around that charcoal and sing to that charcoal. And that's what he did. And soon enough, the green tendril began to grow. And it grew straight up and it grew thicker and it became a stem. And pretty soon that stem became a trunk. And pretty soon that little green tendril that had grown out of the charcoal that had been laying in the ashes of the end of the world, that tendril turned into the tree of life. And Ikanshu was standing there, dancing there, singing there, looking at the tree of life, which is the tree behind all the trees and all the forests, the tree that connects all people through its roots and branches the very tree of life come back from the ashes of the world. And at that point, while he was dancing and celebrating that, his foot hit something hard in the ashes and he stopped. And as he stopped, he reached down into the ashes and he found this time a rock in the ashes. And here he was in the ashes at the end of the world, standing before the tree of life with a rock in his hand. And it occurred to him, what should I do with this rock? What do you do with the rock when you're near the tree of life? He didn't really know, and an instinct or an intuition in him said, well, throw it at the tree. Now, I know this could be disturbing to people who are trying to build an ecological movement. Could be a little bit counter-wisdom. But you have to understand, it was the end of the world and the ashes were everywhere and tricks of all kind were needed and instincts of all kind were also important. And so, Ikanshu took the rock and he threw it at the tree of life and it hit a branch on that tree and that branch fell from the tree of life into the ashes and for a moment it disappeared into the ashes and the moment after that it began to rise up from the ashes and grow into a tree itself and pretty soon that branch had become a tree and so Ikanshu looked for another rock and threw it at the tree of life. It knocked down another branch. That branch hit the ashes, turned into a tree. He did it again and he did it again until all the species of trees were coming back and growing right from the ashes at the end of the world. And then, Ikanchu kept dancing, he kept singing, and pretty soon the trees turned into the forest again, and the forest began to spread in all directions. And once the forest had grown back, the animals began to appear as well, and pretty soon the birds were flying through the branches, and all the animals were soft-footing it on the earth. And after a time, the people came back. The human beings came back as well, and pretty soon everyone was back in the world the way they used to be, all together, the plants and the animals and the people. And they say that's how the Earth came back after global warming had turned everything into ashes. And the people that have this story, once a year they get together and they stand before certain fruit trees and they take rocks and they throw rocks at the fruit on the trees. And when the fruit falls to the ground, they pick it up and they give it to each other. And specifically, they give a piece of fruit to anyone they have offended or anyone who has offended them until all the people are coming together again through the fruit of the tree of life, through the fruit of knowledge, through the rhythm and through the dance and through the song because they begin to all sing together in order to carry on the reverberation of creation which is secretly going on inside the body and inside the mind of everyone who's living no matter whether it's the high time or the low time, the bright time or the dark time, even if it's the ashes at the end of the world.
So that's the story from a little tribe by the Amazon River that did a lot of thinking about what happens when climate change comes, when the world gets too hot, when people forget what it is to have a soul. Because if you want to consider what's going on in the world right now, we're in a battle for the soul of the world. We're in a battle for the soul of human beings living in the world in a way that makes sense with the rest of the world. Michael Mead with percussion by John Densmore, awakening the genius in everyone when the calling keeps calling. You can see and hear more from Michael Mead and explore more Bioneers radio programs, podcasts, and videos online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer and station relations, Stephanie Welch. Host and consulting producer, Neil Harvey. Program engineer, Emily Harris. Production assistants, Jeff Westman, Tina Rubio, and Melanie Choi. Interview recording engineer, Emily Harris. Our theme music is co-written by the Baca Forest People of Cameroon and Baca Beyond from the album East to West. All royalties from Baca compositions and performances go to the Baca Forest People through the charity Global Music Exchange. Find out more at globalmusicexchange.org. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundstrue.com and Richard Goodhart at richgoodhart.com. That's richgoodhart.com. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in inspiring a shift to live on Earth in ways that honor the web of life, each other, and future generations. This is program number 1316. This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you. If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out.